When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Do you bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Bird 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50-plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go. Let's go. Go. And a good morning, Eagle fans. Appreciate you streaming on in here on Birds 365. If last week was healing week, licking their wounds from their 38-35 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, this week is time to get back to the rest of the year. Uh, It is Howie Roseman time with juggling going on with both the Eagles roster and coaching staff. And we'll uh, be here uh, all week to talk about it with you. We would be Jody McDonald and John McMullen, your Mac and Mac Birds 365 guys. Um, Johnny Mac, we knew this was going to happen. We didn't know what degree it was going to happen to, but the pilfering of the Eagles staff continues after last week watching both Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon go out the door for head coaching opportunities elsewhere. Eagles lost another member of their uh, coaching staff with Nick Rallis going to Arizona to be the new defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's pretty young for that job, is he not, Johnny May? 29. 29 years old. Youngest uh, coordinator in the NFL. So, yeah, that's the way it's been trending. Um, teammates in college with Max Williams, the Cardinals tight end. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. We talked about it a lot here. I think, you know, the Eagles' success has kind of opened people's minds 
you know, I mentioned last week on the show, Nick and, and Jonathan are very close. That was a, um, I wasn't going to say a fait accompli, but he was going to get serious consideration with Arizona. Um, you know, can he convince others that a 29 year old can be a defensive coordinator in this league? Um, evidently he did. Uh, and we'll see how it works out. But uh, Drew Petzig, who I also mentioned, is probably going to be his offensive coordinator. He hired him. It's 35, 36. So, uh, you know, and, and Jonathan himself, uh, it's just over 40. So, um, yeah, a lot of, of the Eagles' success is, is sort of spreading across the NFL. <laughs> Teams look at the Eagles. They really do. They, they really do part. We talked about it last year with their front office. Now it's their coaching staff. You know, you forget Brian Johnson, the nibbles he's got. He's very young. Uh, uh, Shane Steichen's, you know, 37 uh, is a head coach in this league now. Um, Denard Wilson has gotten, uh, you know, he, he'd be the oldest of the lots. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It really is. And, oh, by the way, we just mentioned this in passing and we probably should have made a bigger emphasis of it. How many coaching changes did the Eagles make last year, John? Zero. Zero. That's unheard of. You don't do that. Well, they yet. made some changes, you know, promotions, things like that. But notable changes, zero. So, yeah. No, that, you rarely see that. Uh, to that, keep that an entire staff together is uh, just not something that happens all the time in the National Football League. And then to have the season that they have and go all the way to the Super Bowl, come up just short, tells you their evaluation of the staff at the end of last year was spot on. It was a, uh, a phenomenal staff that was put together by all parties, included uh, Nick Sirianni as the head coach, Howie Roseman as the general manager. They really did put together a phenomenal staff. And now, because of the success they had, it is dispersing to all parts of the globe, as far as the NFL goes, that they're going elsewhere. Has the defection stopped? Or is there more yet to come? Is uh, Jonathan Gannon and or Shane Steichen? Shane Steichen hasn't picked anybody off the staff yet, John. And you don't know what kind yeah. of agreements that he and Nick Sirianni might have had. That, listen, you can't take one. Maybe you take a secondary coach. Um, do you think the Eagles will lose any more guys on this day? I think it's a possibility. I mean, Kevin Petulo's the guy I have my eye on, um, you know, because he's not going to be the offensive coordinator here. And if, you know, and if Shane says, for instance, he wants him as an offense, the Eagles can't block that. They can't do anything to stop that. Uh, back in the old days, you could if a guy were was under contract and it's interesting, I'm writing about this today, you know, of all the things, and we, we have this show, Jody, and we talk about everything involving the Eagles, you know, pretty in depth, mm. you know, everything from Jalen hurts down to the 53rd guy on the roster at times, because we have the time to do so, you know, coaching in the NFL, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's probably the last Last thing, last part of the industry that is not really transparent. Like, there's nowhere, like, most, like, I can tell you, most assistant coaches get two year deals. So, in theory, uh, most are out of contract right now and, and could shop around and leave if they wanted to. Um, but sometimes, you know, it's three years. 
Sometimes it's four years. I saw the Drew Petzing I mentioned. I, I, I think he signed a three-year deal to be the coordinator. Sometimes it's a little different. You know, there's no NFLPA for coaches, you know, where where everything eventually becomes public and filed. And so it, it's sort of the last frontier of the unknown. And, and, and I talked about, think about, you know, the whole trope was blown up by Nick Sirianni. And we've talked about it a lot here. You know, Doug Peterson, they micromanaged his coaching staff and they let Nick do what he wanted. Turns out that's not even remotely close to the case. I knew Jonathan Gannon was essentially hired before Nick. I didn't know Shane Steichen was. He was. Uh, he was in place before. Um, and then, you know, it's easy to make the leap. It happened to be, and we said it last week, it's sort of like the tail wagging the dog. You know, it said, well, Nick had a history with Gannon and Indy and Steichen and Indy. So it makes sense that he was on board, but it, it, it was just a coincidence, really. And it, it, it's it's the last vestige of the unknown coaching in the NFL. From that perspective, from the perspective of who's really good at it, how do you judge? How do you judge position coaches other than, well, that guy's a good player. But Nick mm-hmm. has said, you know, we've talked about it a lot over the past couple weeks because – he, he knew he was going to lose some guys. And he said, you know, your job as a coach is to, to help a player reach his ceiling and maybe mm-hmm. go a little bit above his ceiling as a player. Can't do much more. I, I'm, so it's, so it's such an interesting subject to me and, and we're seeing it. But one thing I can tell the people is look, it, it's happened time and time again from Andy Reid on down you know, one of the best coaches of all time. When you lose guys, it's difficult to replace them. So that continuity you were talking about, that was a big deal. And these guys leaving, even though so many Eagles fans don't like Jonathan Gannon and blah, 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 it's a big deal. It really is a big deal. And you got to get on the same page with the new guys you're bringing in. So let's take a look at the new guys. Um the belief is still that Brian Johnson is the runaway leader in the clubhouse to become the offensive coordinator. At what point do we start to speculate on when it's going to happen? That if uh, this is their guy and Nick did his press uh, availability last week, you were there, you questioned him. Um, he left open the door possibility of looking for outside candidates for either of the two coordinator positions they had to fill, but you just got the feeling that they were, looking more at the outside candidates for the defensive quarter than they were the offensive quarter. It makes too much sense. Brian Johnson, his relationship with Jalen hurts, but it hasn't happened yet. And you would think that it would happen this week, but we'll find out if it does. Um, so they haven't asked permission to speak to anyone else from any other organization for the offensive coordinator position. Read into that what you will. Oh, they have on the defensive side. They've already gotten permission to talk to two guys, uh, Vance Joseph and Desai, the uh, former defense quitter in Chicago who coached under Vic Fangio and then uh, went to Seattle this past year as an associate head coach under Pete Carroll. Um, so uh, there, there is a good possibility they could go outside. Sorry to say, Denard Wilson, I still hope you get the job. Um, but uh, how do you think those two interviews uh, proceed this week? How quick do you think the Eagles are looking to act, or is this something that 
they're going to take their time on and not worry about how quickly it moves. No, I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. And, you know, the, the combine starts on the 28th, I believe from tomorrow. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think it'll be in place before then. Um, because you want your coordinators out there, you know, on, on the same page and interviewing players and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think it'll be in place before then. You know, you mentioned they haven't requested. Well, we don't know if they were good. They, they probably have, right. but that stuff takes time to trickle out. Um, and you got to go through the Rudy rule stuff. So you can't just promote Brian Johnson and say, all right, you're, you're the offensive coordinator. But even the way, you know, Howie and, and Nick spoke about Brian in the season ending press conference, it was almost like, a, you know, all right, we're all doing this because we have to do it, but he's the guy. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be the offensive coordinator. And then the defensive coordinator, yeah, it's more open-ended. And But I don't think it's going to be this wide-ranging search. In fact, if you ask me, it's probably going to be Denard or, or Sean Desai. That's probably going to be the answer. I think the Vance Joseph stuff was a little um, – overblown you know they have so many players to fit that scheme you know forget the gannon scheme the fangio scheme um to change now would be bad let me ask you a question why do you think they even went down that road if that's the case and oh by the way i agree with you when you've got a hassan reddick when you invest like you did on jordan davis who seemed to be a specific fit for the type of defense they played this past year quote-unquote fangio defense why even bother with interviewing vance joseph part of it part of it part of it is PR as well. I mean, that's part of it. And you want to signal, oh, we're looking at these different people and, you know, we've done our due diligence and Denard was the best guy, whoever they go. And, you know, you say that, hey, they talked to Van Joseph and they think Denard's the best guy. Part of it's that. It might be Sean. Um, right. But then don't you open yourself to up to second guessing? If you're, well, you're always going to get second guessed, I mean, okay. you're always going to get second guessed when you, when you, um, people like big names, you know, I, I see it all the time. They, uh, you know, they want Rex Ryan and Lovey Smith, which would make absolutely no sense, but they're recognizable names. And, um, you know, that's just natural. Is there no recognizable name on the offensive side of the ball where they look like they just got to, well, I think, I think the right offensive. Now. I think the offense is easier because um, Jalen had such a good year. Jalen's so close to Brian. I think it's an easier sell. Whereas for some reason, I you know, to me, we, we, we talk about this all the time. To me, the defense was ranked second. The offense was ranked third. But the sentiment to the fan base is the offense is great, no issues, and the defense was terrible. I don't get it. I can't figure it out. But it is. It is what it is. I mean, that's what the Eagles are dealing with. Um, and they've been dealing with it all season. They're well aware of it. Um, it doesn't make any sense, but it, it, it's there. I think you would agree with that. I do. But what I don't uh, – well, I shouldn't say I don't agree. I don't understand. If we think Eagles are a smart organization – why would they worry about the perception? Oh, they are, their... They're always worried about perception. I mean, they're obsessed with perception. 
I mean, they, they, they understand. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they do things because of perception. They don't, but they know they, they understand it. You're well, they do do things if they bring in defensive coordinators for interviews uh, in a masquerade fashion, just to uh, appease perception. Well, you have to appease the NFL. You have to appease a lot of things. You, you know, if it were up to them, they would have just named Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator, but they can't um, because you have to appease certain rules. There's a lot of things in life you have to appease. And by the way, I don't, I don't even know if they've interviewed man. I, I have to check on that today. There was a report that they wanted to talk to Vance Joseph. Right. Ask permission. I, yeah. Um, I don't even know if they, if that's correct yet, but I'll try to figure that, that out today after I get off the, the show. So I don't even know if that part's correct, which I go back to my original point. Coaching's the last vestige of there. It, it's not transparent. You know, the hiring process is not transparent. Uh, certainly with sit, never mind, you know, with head coaches, it, it's not transparent, never mind assistants. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I'll try to track that down, but yeah, it, it would make no sense. And that's one of the reasons I'm saying this, because it, it, it would make no sense for Vance Joseph to come in here unless he's on board with changing his philosophy and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you think he's a, a great defensive mind, he's going to utilize what he has and not change, you know, maybe, maybe it's more realistic, but I have, I've seen no evidence of that. And I think it would be goofy for this team to shift after what they did this season. And it's not only Hassan Reddick and Jordan Davis. I mean, Bradbury's not going to be back, but CJ. I mean, look at CJ Gardner Johnson. You think he's a box safety? You think he's an old school box safety? I mean, you have to play a certain style to 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 accentuate his talents. There's so many players they brought in that are schemes specific for what they what they've run um i think it would be a step back to go in a different direction but that's just me and i don't I, like that scheme right <laughs> which you think is overused in the national football league and you sent me a text this week my guy who thinks it's overused is the creator himself yeah he's like ticked off that as many teams are adopting his philosophy because yeah everybody sees it everybody figures a way to uh, beat it yeah. or at least I, uh, I, I got that quote. I was, I'm glad you brought that up. I should. So here's what Vic said to the Dolphins' website, Vic Fangio. I guess imitation is the best form of flattery, but I prefer it not being that way because <laughs> offenses get used to attacking it, and so we always have to adjust to come up with new things. It's what I've been talking about since day one. I'm glad Vic said it. It's happened with cover two at Tony Dungy. It happened with cover three with Pete Carroll, it happened with the A-gap stuff with Mike Zimmer, and it's happening with Vic, and he knows it, and he knows it. The more you see it, the easier it gets to deal with it, and I think we're in the sort of middle of that with Vic's scheme. But if you're that opposed to it, you would should be rooting for Vance Joseph to get the job because you think the Eagles need to go in another direction because well, everybody's playing at your defense. Well, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not rooting for anybody to get the job, but I think you're going to take a step back. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take a step back and take two forward down the road, but I think you got to realize, well, first of all, you're going to take a step back anyway. 
I think, you know, and I was on Rick, we're going to have Ricky Ricardo on yesterday. I was on with Ricky uh, last night on WIP and he asked me, um, he asked me about that. And, and, and I'm like, even if Gannon were back, they're not going to reach the standard they set this year. They're not, they're not getting 70 sacks again. The, 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 the likelihood they're number two in the NFL defense is really, really small. Could they do it? Yeah, in theory, they could even be number one, but it's really, really small, especially when you look at all the career years the players, the defensive players had. There were so many career years who've never, players who've never played better than they played this season. So you're going to have a little bit of a regression baked in to begin with. Now, again, that doesn't mean you can't take a step back and, and take two down the road, but I think people are like, no, we got to be better. We got to be better right now. That's going to be, that's going to be really difficult, Jody. Yes, easier said than done. Just oh, you put them right back out there again next year. No, they're going to be free agent defections. And now with Gannon gone, even if Gannon had stayed, it was going to be difficult to repeat the kind of defensive year they had. But any uh, self-respecting Eagle fan is going to remember only one thing. Yeah, they blew it in the Super Bowl. Yeah, forget those. Forget that fourteen and three regular season. Forget giving up seven points in either of those two playoff games. Yeah, they yeah. collapsed in the Super Bowl. That's why Gannon had to go. We got to retool, refix this whole defense. Yeah, you and I might disagree with that just a little bit. All right, he's Mac. I'm Mac. That makes it Mac and Mac Birds three sixty five McBone and McDonald. Coming up next, we put a special A to the a special Ed to the test. Our buddy Ed Kratz from Sports Illustrated, Johnny's running mate over at SI, scheduled to jump in with us. We haven't had in until since the Super Bowl, so we will look back at that unfortunate Sunday against Kansas City, but then uh, we'll talk Eagles coaching staff and all things Eagles with Ed Kratz of Sports Illustrated. He joins us next here on Birds fans were cut from a different cloth born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life we believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible while we may be from different neighborhoods come sunday we are one and we will be heard Pondley hockey official partner of the philadelphia eagles Go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits, go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win. 
go to ocean. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you're having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. My name is uh, Fran Soleno. I'm a managing director here at DelVale Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. It's a Monday, now more than a week after the Eagles lost the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs here on Bright Street 65. And, yeah, we got to do that. Uh, my apologies, but uh, we haven't had Ed Kratz on since the Super Bowl, since he made his way back across the country from Arizona. It, no truth to the rumor that made you ride a bike to come back. Is it, Ed, that uh, you, you were allowed on a plane to come back from Arizona? Yeah, I somehow made it through security. All right, but uh, if I was, if I was too, yeah, I'd, I'd still, I'd probably be in maybe I don't know Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> still be on my way. <laughs> All right, we've been we, last week, Ed. We joked around with a bunch of guests the the five stages of grief. Now you should be at acceptance by now, but we got denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Where do you think the Eagles are in this thing? You know, when they spoke, when Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman talked on, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Yeah, Thursday. didn't Howie look depressed, by the way? Yeah. He looked depressed. Yeah, 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 he did. He looked, you know, like someone took his lunch money. But uh, <laughs> they also seemed pretty angry to me. So, you know, maybe they're still in that in-between anger and depression stage. Uh, I don't think they've accepted it yet. I, I'm not sure. Uh, when that final stage will be reached for those guys. I mean, listen, how he gave Nick the roster to get the job done and Nick couldn't land the plane, so to speak. So uh, I think it's going to be a while before they accept it. And it might be a while before the fan base accepts it too. It was just that that, that win was right there for the taking and they couldn't oh, yeah. the deal. I thought Let the me... game was over by half. I, I thought the Eagles were done. I thought the Eagles said, I thought they won the game at halftime. I thought it was over. I, I'm in, I, I admit that. I'm going to question you on uh, your description of what transpired on the Super Bowl, Ed. The Eagles couldn't land the plane. Are we doing a disservice to the Kansas City Chiefs here in this town? And I'm looking at you, Kratz, and a whole bunch of other people, and myself as well. Shame on me. Did we not give the Kansas City Chiefs enough credit coming into the game? Did we not realize that, yeah, Nick Sirianni had a real good year and he got snubbed for coach of the year, and Jim, that maybe Andy Reid is just that good? That it's not the Andy Reid of his Philadelphia Eagle years. It's Andy Reid who's made it to three of the last four Super Bowls. And he's one of the best play callers on the planet. 
and he came up with plays that the Eagles had no chance to develop. We're, it seems to me everybody's looking at what the Eagles did wrong. How about we give a little credit to the opposition and maybe admit that we didn't give them enough credit before the game started? Well, you know, listen, if you look at my prediction, my final score prediction, I had the Chiefs winning this game 29-27. I did. How the hell did you get away did. with that not saying that here on Bird Street yeah. 65? How do I not remember that? Well, it, well it, I don't think Ed was on for the prediction because he was out there early, so we didn't get him. But he did predict. Oh, uh, he did okay, you pick Andrew City? Yeah. I did. I, I God figured, bless you, Ed Kratz. Well, <laughs> well, thank you. But, I, you know, I just – I was giving the Chiefs a lot of credit. I mean, I – Andy Reid to me and Patrick. Well, Mahomes. and how did Sirianni not land in the plane if the the better team was the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, that's just my you know that's what people think is that you know, and that's what I think. I said Roseman gave him the roster, and Sirianni couldn't land the plane. But I thought the Chiefs were going to find a way to win this game just because I I gave a big edge to the coaching staff, and you know, in the end, that's what what's what got them uh, was the experience of Andy Reid and his staff over Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, Shane Steichen. They've only been doing it for a couple years. Andy's been doing it forever. Spagnola's been doing it forever. Nagy, the enemy. I mean, that staff was just, you know, to me, a huge advantage for the Chiefs. And then, you know, Mahomes obviously is one of the better quarterbacks. And even though Jalen Hurts played a better game, I mean, Mahomes just found a way to win. And I, I figured that he would be hard to stop if the if it came down to the final possession uh, of the game, which it did, and they couldn't stop him. Well, we didn't get to talk to Jonathan Gannon after the game, and that upset a lot of Eagles fans because of the defensive collapse. Uh, Peter King, leave it to Peter King, gets Jonathan Gannon in his Football Morning in America column. So he talked about it a little bit, and, you know, he gave his – Deference to Andy Reid as, as one of the great coaches of all time, as he should. Uh, no doubt about that. Then he kind of fell on his sword a little bit for, um, you know, calling the zero blitz on that second jet motion touchdown. Said Jesus Christ couldn't have covered that <laughs> in a zero blitz. Uh, so he did fall on his sword a little bit, as he should. Um you blame Gannon more or, or the personnel more? Because I got to be honest, Ed, I, I'm blaming the players. They look like the Keystone cops out there with that jet motion. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it was pointed out after the game that Jacksonville ran that uh, kind of that jet motion against them and scored a touchdown back in week four, same thing. And, you know, they, they didn't get better from it. Um, but yeah, I, listen, I think you can't, ignore the fact, and I know both teams played on it, and Howie said both teams played on the same field, but you can't ignore the fact that that field was a disaster, uh, negated what some of the Eagles did well. Um, but even with that said, even though they didn't get any sacks, they still held Mahomes to, I think, 182 yards. Two. Passing. Yeah, 182. And, I and said before, if, you, if I gave you 182 before the game, Ed, uh, for Patrick Mahomes, I think you – I think Jody, I think everybody in Philadelphia would have said, yeah, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. But, boy, it, it doesn't seem like that after the game was over. No. And, you know, that's about what the average yards the Eagles' pass defense was giving up in a game. I think they came in giving up 179 a game. So that was the number one passing defense in the league. So, you know, yeah, they did their job even without getting sacks. But it's, it, it was the ground game that, to me, really killed them too. I mean – when was the last time 
an Eagles defense gave up, I think it was 158 yards rushing to the, to a team. That's what the chiefs had. And that really, and even Sirianni alluded to that as they really got their run game going in the second half. And, and Isaiah Pacheco, if nothing else, he showed the Eagles that let's not bring back Miles Sanders. We can find a running back in any round of the draft, just like the chiefs did with Pacheco out of Rutgers in the seventh round. And and he really beat him up. And uh, that was, that was surprising to me was that the chiefs were able uh, to run the ball as effectively as they did. And, and, Mahomes only throwing for 182 was a big surprise, too. So, uh, you know, those two factors and then the bad field uh, played, a, played a part in this as well, I think. Very slippery track. Um, that, that did not do the Eagles any favors. All right. Uh, since the game is now in the rearview mirror, and we're going to start to look forward to what the Eagles in 2023 are going to look like. Because of one particular play. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. It's the exclamation point at the end of the sentence, the punt return in the Super Bowl. Mm. But let's be honest, the Eagles special teams weren't all that good all year anyway. <laughs> Yet when asked about it, man, did Nick Sirianni come to the defense of Michael Clay quickly mm. and strongly that Michael Clay's that are our super, our special teams uh, improved. Uh, not the way I saw it. Does this team have to look at its special teams in two ways, Ed? Coaching? And additional players and maybe a little bit more emphasis on the guys you pick up who have good special teams resumes. Will the Eagles address their special teams this offseason? Well, I, I don't see how they can't. I mean, you know, Michael Clay aside, look at Aaron Sippas. You know, that was a that was a 35-yard punt or so that Tony took back 65 yards that really changed the complexion of the game, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. Um you need to and start play, and, and and real quick, Ed. That the bigger thing was he kicked it the wrong way. Yeah, they they had the coverage going one direction. He kicked it the other direction. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It was just ter- and listen, that's where it has to start. They have to find a punter that is you know NFL ready, and whether that's in the draft or in free agency, uh, they can't bring Sippus back. Nobody asked Sirianni or Roseman about Sippus, but clearly he can't come back. So. You know, you get a punter, maybe you upgrade a little bit. It was interesting because Sean Bradley, their special teams star from a year ago and probably didn't have the same kind of year this year. And he was on IR, didn't play in the Super Bowl. And then Kyron Johnson, a guy who they drafted uh, to be a special teams player, he wasn't even active for the Super Bowl. So, yeah, there has to be some upgrade in personnel on that, you know, in that phase of the game. And uh, it starts at punter. I mean, you know. Michael Clay can only do so much, but if your punter's shanking one to the wrong side of the field and it's only going 36 yards, that's a problem. And that's not a problem on Michael Clay. That's your punter that can't get the job done. So, you know, listen, Aaron Sippus, good guy, but it's time to move on and find a new punter. It was probably time to move on from from Sippus last year. And when you look at the the roster Roseman gave Sirianni, one thing he didn't give him was a punter. That was a big deficiency on this team, and it really came back to bite him in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, you know, I think they wanted to get Aaron involved in the Super Bowl. Remember, he hadn't kicked since December 11th. They probably should have just let Brett Kern, not that Brett was great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's probably not going to make that uh, kind of mistake as a veteran punter. You know, and I think maybe that was a feel-good moment. They were trying to get Aaron back in the mix, and – I think that was a mistake. You know, people don't look at it and say special teams, but I think that was a big mistake. I want to shift to the coaching staff. Um, you mentioned, and I think you're right. I mean, look, Andy's Andy. 
you know, it's great. First battle hall of famer. You mentioned Eric, the enemy now, uh, going to Washington. So he's going to be in the division as a coordinator, assistant head coach. Um, a lot of veteran sort of proven talent on that coaching staff, but it's the Eagles coaching staff that's getting picked apart. Uh, Shane Steichen, Jonathan Gannon. Now Nick Rollis is gone. Youngest defensive coordinator in the NFL. We went back to last season. It's very rare, Ed. You had continuity on the coaching staff. Now you're going to have all these changes and there might be more dominoes. I still think Kevin Petullo might go because He's not going to get a coordinator job here, offensive coordinator at least. Um, how important are these coaching staff losses? Well, yeah, they're, I think they're pretty big for sure. Um, the Eagles were in a situation last year where they didn't lose anybody from the, the previous season, and that, that to me is kind of a kind of a rarity when that thing happens. Uh, nobody was fired. Nobody was let go. Nobody left for another job. So, yeah, that was a big – advantage coming back year two same staff uh kind of an understanding of what what the expectation was now you know you're looking at possibly a change even in schematics with the defensive side of the ball Sirianni said he's not opposed to doing things a little bit differently on the defensive side of the ball whether that means more blitzing which the fan base for some reason wants to see um we'll we'll find out uh but yeah to me, losing these guys is going to leave a mark. And you mentioned Eric Bieniemy going to Washington, and I just want to make take this time now to point out to Jody that Sam Howell is going to be the starting quarterback in Washington. So <laughs> well, you know, enough well, said. On I, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that uh, the new <laughs> offense coordinator in Washington will be smart enough not to compare <laughs> Sam Howell to Patrick Mahomes. Well, that that would be step one if I were to be. Uh, uh, guiding the new offensive coordinator. Don't compare him to the most talented player on the planet at the position. Right. Well, not yet, anyway. Let's oh, <laughs> listen to you, Grads. Yeah, I, I love you stick-to-itiveness. You're, you're, you're gonna eat those words, but well, you're going, you're going down I find it very hard now. to believe that Sam Howe is going to be the starting quarterback in Washington. I think at some point they're gonna bring somebody in. I don't know who. I don't know when, but I find it very hard to believe it's going to be Sam oh, Howell. I, I absolutely believe he could be their starting quarterback. I didn't say he's going to be good, but he's going could to be, be their starter. Oh, I think he'll be fine. But listen, that's a conversation for another day. I, yeah. John, your question, you know, listen, it, Nick told a good story and about, you know, how long it took them to find Jamal Singleton as yeah. the running back yeah. coach. You know, they interviewed, I think he said eight guys, and they were all like, well, you know, they were – they weren't quite sold. And then Singleton walked through the door and like, yeah, he's our guy. Let's hire him. And I thought that, was, that looks like a great hire, uh, Singleton. Um, so, you know, I think the Eagles are going to take their time here. I'm a little surprised, though, that, you know, Brian Johnson <clears throat> is the guy that everybody seems to think is going to get this job. And here we are all, two weeks, almost, you know, whatever, over a week now since, you know. Uh, well, you got to go through all the rigmarole. You got to, you know, they have to bring in somebody from outside. There's all these rules you got to adhere to now. So you can't just promote them. But I, I think he'll be in place before, what is it, Jody? February 28th. Yeah. Um, the start the of the combine. Gets underway. Yeah. I think by that point, 
I think both coordinators will be in place. That's my feel. Uh, Nick kind of said that. I think it was our buddy Chris Franklin who asked that question, and he was like, yeah, you want to have guys in place by the combine. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact answer, but, you know, you probably want the coordinators involved with talking to players and, and trying to get a feel for them. I, I think that should be the timing. Positional coaches, though, you're right, like Jamal, you can take your a little bit more time with that. Yeah, with the linebacker coach. You know, Jeremiah Washburn yeah. is an in-house guy who does outside linebackers and defensive ends. You wonder if, you know, they'll just turn the inside linebackers loose to him or if they'll bring somebody in. I think they'll bring somebody in. But, you know, at this time of the year, you know, because the Eagles season lasted until the yeah. middle of February, it's a little more challenging to find candidates uh, th- at this stage of the game. Um, so it might go to college. That's but, where they got Jamal. You might, you, you might try to pick somebody from college. Right. And that's where they got Brian Johnson to be yeah. their QB coach. He was at the university of Florida as the offensive coordinator there. Um, who interestingly worked with Kadarius Tony, one of the you know heroes of Super Bowl 57. So uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I could see you, you would think they would want the coordinators in place by the combine once they start interviewing players and, uh, kind of circling who they might like to bring in for the top 30 visits in the spring uh, before the draft. Uh, certainly the coordinators would help in that regard. But, you know, this is Howie Roseman's season now. I mean, this is the, the the GM's job to build this roster again. So, you know, maybe he doesn't view it that way. You know, it would be nice to have their input. But, you know, the bottom line is this is Howie's show. That's, that's true. That's true, too. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, since you weren't on with us last week, Ed, and you're almost always here, so shame on me for forgetting that you weren't with us last week. Uh, this has just uh, become a topic of conversation over the last week, so I need your take on it. The tush push <laughs> that because of Dean Blandino on the 33rd team with our buddy Paul Domowitz, he said he believes that it will be outlawed in the NFL next year the play that was so successful for the Philadelphia Eagles, the quarterback sneak with assistance from behind that it's just not optically pleasing for NFL fans and that he thinks the competition committee will uh, get in front of it and move it out, that the tush push could be considered a penalty by next year. Your thoughts on the NFL revisiting because remember it used to be against the rules then they reinstated it uh, 15 17 years and now they're thinking about taking it out again what do you think about the aided quarterback sneak well <clears throat> blandino said it wasn't aesthetically pleasing i think was his uh terminology yeah. then they they would have banned the bubble screen five years ago because that is an <laughs> abject disaster well, From yeah, aesthetic standpoint. Yeah, you could go through a couple things. You know, the the quarterback throwing the ball away. You know, is that really an aesthetically pleasing play? Is is a third and one quarterback sneak? Well, they have out? a penalty against that. If you don't get it to the line of scrimmage, it's uh, illegally downing the football. So they they do address that one. Yeah, but you can still do it. You get outside the tackle box. You know, this gray area of what the tackle box is. Then you can throw it away beyond the line of scrimmage. So yeah, there there is a penalty, but it's still. You can still do it, and it, you know, is that really an aesthetically pleasing well, play? See, when it's and you can still, it would, if if uh, what Dean Blandino is suggesting happens, you can still sneak the football. 
Yeah. You're just yeah, not going to have a tight end picking you up by the rear end and pushing you a yard and a half extra. So they're not going to ban the play. They're just going to uh, legislate one aspect of it. You know, listen, I mean, there have been times the Eagles didn't convert doing that. I mean, it's not like it's 100%, you know, 98 out of 40 was damn close. Jason Kelsey, 92%. Jason Kelsey. 92%. (laughs) So it's at 36 out of 40. Yeah, that, yeah, but they, Jason's just joking. They do it all the time. But um, I don't like it. I like the play. I don't like it. I I, I like, I don't like the play. I do. Why not? I mean, listen, and, and it was legal and no one had done it until Nick Sirianni came along and said, hey, let's do it. And now there's an issue with it. So it's going to look like that, hey, because the Eagles did it and did it well, and you have this big, strong quarterback that can squat 600 pounds, that they're just trying to take something away that Philadelphia did well. Um, when, in fact, every single team could do it, but they don't do it. And the reason why, I think, is because they don't have, A, the offensive line to do it at a 92% clip or whatever it is the Eagles converted it at. And they don't have a quarterback that can squat yeah. 600 pounds. So it's not as easy. I mean, the Eagles make the play look easy, but if it was that easy, other teams would do it. So why take it away? Yeah. Uh, the team in the XFL tried it over the weekend. Didn't work uh, because you're right. They don't have what the Eagles have. I, I do think um, it was interesting. Sean Payton, I saw chimed in somewhere. Now, Sean, um, he had Taysom Hill. So uh, he's he's back to saying he's going to use it. And he saw the – and the Eagles deserve credit, by the way. I always go back because I'm old, uh, you know, and, and Jody. Uh, the George Brett play in baseball. I, I always thought they shouldn't have penalized Billy Martin for being smarter than everybody else. Um and that's how I feel about the Eagles. They deserve a lot of credit. But I also agree with the NFL saying, all right, this is not what we envisioned. So after the fact, I have no problem. If they want to go there and three quarters of the team say, we don't want to do this anymore, I have no problem with it. But the Eagles deserve credit for finding something nobody else found. And they'll always deserve credit from my standpoint, but I have no problem with the NFL either. I've been predicting for months. Jody knows this. They're going to bar. They're going to, they're going to change that play because it's, it's, it's not what they envisioned. So they called it the spirit of the rule in baseball. They don't like the spirit of it. I have no problem with that, but give the Eagles credit for finding the loophole, taking advantage of the loophole. And see, you just said the key word, John. It's loophole. Loopholes are great. That's what you're paid to do is find loopholes and take advantage of loopholes. But then the powers that be have the right to close the loophole if they so desire and go, no, it's the rugbyization of the National Football League. That's not what we're looking for. So they can take that advantage away. I'm with you 100% on this, partner. Give the Eagles credit. Give Jalen Hurts credit because he's the guy behind it all. But if the NFL says, yeah, no, th- thank you for opening our eyes, Philadelphia, to the fact that it really isn't what we want our game to look like, they got every right to shut it down yeah. if they so desire. Yeah. Well, you know who I give credit to is the person that coined the word tush push. <laughs> Where did that come from? Who, who started saying the tush push? Because that. I love it. You know, it makes you yeah, giggle. It. You know, it brings you back to your middle school days again when you hear that 
tush push terminology. Well, it used to be the Bush push, or because USC did it in a right. high profile oh, game against oh, yeah, Reggie Bush. Notre Dame. Yeah, and, you know, that looked bad. You know, Notre Dame probably should have won that game. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't I I've been saying all year. I probably said it to you in the press box. Ed, I I don't like it. Yeah, I, I don't have, like. You but consistent but you know, I give the Eagles credit. I I don't blame the Eagles. A tremendously successful play, but I thought they're going to change this. And, and, and listen, I think I don't even know if they need you know Goddard and Sanders and whoever else was behind Hertz on that play to push him forward. I mean, I think Hurts is strong enough. Yeah, he is. And and they'll, be, he, they'll be he need tremendously successful on quarterback sneaks next year, yeah. even if they ban it. They'll right. be tremendously successful. They don't, they don't need to quite as successful. Yeah. One last thing on this, and then I promise we'll move on, Ed. Um, I guarantee you, when they take the play out, it will be described as a very difficult play to referee. That will be one of their explanations <laughs> as to why they're taking that out because it's this mass of humanity that you can't tell if there's been the stoppage of forward motion because the the defense the, the guys pushing from behind him are moving, but it's Jalen still actually moving on the play. You can't really tell. <laughs> so they're going to say <laughs> we had a very difficult time even with instant replay judging it. So we are going to. Uh, but why I brought up also, uh, why I brought up Sean Payton, you need three quarters of the teams to change it. If a bunch of coaches are looking at it and saying, I want to use that, they might not change it. So you, you do need a bunch of people on board to change it. So we'll yeah, see how I, it I think they get the three quarters, no problems. They, yeah. They'll realize. It's more it's a more powerful tool in the Eagles' hands than it is a potential tool in our hands. Let's take it away from Philadelphia. Mark my words. All right, Ed, you know I'm going to ask you this question today and then next week and the week after and the week after all the way up to the next two months before the NFL draft <clears throat> because I've seen and read a lot of people speculating on it that Eagles are going to get hurt by free agency, but they've got two first-round draft picks. So they're going to pick two guys and plug them, play them, put them right into the lineup. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Eagles will make their two picks at 10 and 31? Or do you think Howie Roseman becomes Monty Hall, which is something he's very good at on draft day, moving up, moving back, uh, exchanging picks. They are missing the middle of their draft this year. They don't have their fourth round pick, their fifth round pick, or their sixth round pick. Got two in the first and two in the seventh, but they're missing three key picks in the middle of that draft. Do you think it more likely that Howie picks the players right at those two spots in the first round? Or you think there's a better chance he trades down to try and fill in some of the blanks on the Eagles draft board? Yeah, I think it depends what what's available at number 10. And he could make the deal before the draft. But he yeah, I, go I up. Think, if he wants an edge rusher, he can go up. He can he can go up and, and we'll see how high he can get. But I I think he'll go back. And now listen, he, he brought up a good point that we probably have overlooked uh, is the fact that they're going to get comp picks, right? So, yeah. you know, they're going to start losing, you know, some players that. Yeah. But the comp picks don't kick until next, next year. year. Yeah. That's, still, that's 2024. Yeah. So, but he'll still have, he has a lot of picks in 2024. So if he sees something that he likes higher up in the draft, like a Jalen Carter, who I don't think will be there. But if he starts to slide or this guy, Tyreek Wilson, I think an edge rusher, <clears throat> who's, 
you know, I don't know anything about the guy, but he's projected to go in the top 10. But if he sees somebody that's there, he, he could trade up. But I, I think more than likely he's going to go backwards, maybe into the teens, later teens to uh, maybe recoup, uh, a, you know, maybe a, a third day pick, a fourth rounder or maybe another third rounder. Um, but I, I think Howie's going to be pretty active in this draft to try to get a couple more picks and whatever that <laughs> looks like. Um, I'm not sure at this point, but I could certainly see. I don't think they're going to pick at 10 and 30. I think is it 30 or 31? It's 30. Remember, it's 30, it's 30 because Dolphins. of the Miami Dolphins shenanigans. In, right. In so they're 10 and 30. I don't one. think. And listen, when they went to the Super Bowl the last time, they traded. They they were picking number 32 because they won the Super Bowl and they traded back into the second round and they landed Dallas Goddard. Great move. Um, so I could I could certainly see Howie moving back to try to land another pick or two uh, in this draft. I, I would bet right now that they're not going to sit at 10 and 30. They're just going to be some movement. All right. One last thing before we let you go, Ed, I'm surprised by both you two guys need for an edge pass rusher. Yeah. Are you suggesting Brandon Graham will not be back with this team next year? No, I'm not, but uh, yeah, the Eagles love. So you got Reddick, you got sweat, you got BG. You got the return of Derek Barnett. Come on. Are you kidding me? They, Man, they're, they're, now that's they, not happening. They've got an overabundance of that's edge pass happening. rushing. You think they're going to use a dead pick of the draft on an edge pass rusher? But but here here's my thought process, and then, Ed, you can jump in. At, and how he says it overtly all the time, and I think nobody listens to him. You know, with it, They believe in building up front, offensive line, defensive line. When they're up at that level – top 10 and they can go higher because they have the two first round picks if they want to. There's only certain positions they're going to look at. And one of them's edge rusher. I'm saying if they like somebody, if they're in a position to get them and they always offensive defensive line, and it could be Carter. It could be the interior guy. He's more of an interior guy. You know, they have a lot of question marks. Uh, you know, Brandon's they're not, not going to be around not forever. Up high enough to get Will Anderson. Hey. It, 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 I'm, I'm, it, I'm saying if they like a player and I haven't delved into my draft prep that much, there are other edge rushers. The kid from Clemson I know is pretty high. Um, if they like a player, they will, they will seize, especially on the offensive and defensive lines. They will seize the opportunity. And remember this, this is an organization that doesn't always draft a player that can plug right in like Devontae yeah, Smith, obviously exactly. they did, but Goddard, I mentioned Andre Diller. They had Jason Peters. So, I mean, you're you're looking at Elaine Johnson here at right tackle, who you know is going to be coming off the groin surgery. Shouldn't be an issue, but 32 or 33. 32, yeah. So right. the the, you, the second of their two first round picks, they could bring along slowly. If right. You're picking at number ten, or you guys are suggesting suggesting potentially moving up from number 10 to an even higher spot, you better damn well be able to be able to be plugged right in and play day number one. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that would happen probably on the defensive line. Uh, I'm not sure. B, I think with BG and Cox, don't you, you know, I, I, I think you almost have to cut those guys by de designate them like a post June 1st release, and then maybe try to bring them back on a one-year deal. Graham wants to keep playing, and he wants yeah. to play in Philadelphia. But, yeah. you know, we'll see what he'll play for, and we'll, we'll see what how he offers them. But I think Graham will be back. But, listen, he's 34, 35. I mean, he's, he's obviously long in the tooth. They need yeah. to find an edge rusher. 
that they can bring in here and, and uh, you know, be ready to take over when that day comes and, and get some snaps now. I mean, BG played, what, 18, 20 snaps a game. I mean, that's his role. So uh, is Barnett coming back? He's got the one year still on his contract. They may have to renegotiate that. Boy, he might, but I doubt it. But I, yeah, you know, I, I never be... say never with Tarek. If they don't get an edge rusher in the draft, you know, they might bring him back. Another Howie, one year. Howie Roseman this past year had an A-plus offseason despite that signing of Derek Barnett, which I'm sorry, that was an L. And it's maybe the only L that Howie took. Well, in the so was the, season. think about that it, Jody. If you want to call that an L, think about it. The only other L might've been Robert Quinn. So they're always looking for extra edge rushers. Always, 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 always. So, so Howie will not uh, learn from his mistakes that sometimes you can overdo edge rushers with, uh, if that's the only place he's got it now. Oh, let me go back there. Even well, more remember, so. Remember, guys, 70 sacks isn't good enough. That wasn't good enough, so they better get some pass rush somewhere because I don't know if they can replicate 70 sacks. Of those 70 sacks, how many did Derek Barnett and Robert Quinn get? Oh, that's right. That well, come on. Derek got hurt Zippo. in week one. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eddie Kratz, always a pleasure. Glad you made it back safe and sound from Arizona. Uh, we'll be getting you up each and every single week. Thanks for jumping in with us today. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. Have a great day. Ed Kratz, Sports Illustrated, here with us on uh, the Birds 365, Jacob Media YouTube channel. He's McDo he's Mc uh, McMullen. I'm McDonald. Yeah. That would make us mad. By the way, Mac. I got to get in. I, I was told, like, share, and subscribe. I got to get that in more. Oh, like, you and I both. Shame on us. And shame subscribe. on us both. And uh, we have to do some more because checking the number down a little bit from the lead up to the, the Super Bowl. Season, baby. When we're going Still pretty digit. high, though. Still pretty for, high. For you 300 and change, they're streamed in right now. Thank you. Hey, if you got to go, here's the beauty of this show. And we don't emphasize this enough either. Um, you got, uh, you're at work. You can't, oh, the boss called you. Oh, shoot. The, the memo came down. I got to shut off Birds 365. Understood. You got to get on with the rest of your life. Oh, we're there forever. We're there for infinity. You always come back and watch it after the fact. Say, I don't want to miss what McMullen had to say. You can stream out and then stream back later on. That's the beauty of it. And when you do, yeah, hit that like button. He's McMullen. I'm McDonald. You got Mac and Mac here on Birds 365. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to ocean. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at Drytech. At Drytech, we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give Drytech a call or check us out online. Why do millions of people every year from around the world visit Philly's Rocky statue? 
You want to tell me the sky is burgundy with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I'll meet you on that. But you're never going to convince me Rocky is anything other than the pure greatness that it is. Never going to happen. Join me, Paul Farber, for WHYY's The Statue. We're going on a journey to explore the biography of the Rocky statue. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. With Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. got your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Uh, Mike Zielski, lead columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, is going to jump in with us in less than 20 minutes now. Uh, we haven't had Mike on since the Super Bowl, a bunch of very good columns that he wrote. Want to expand on that when we get uh, Mr. Zielski up here in about 20 minutes. Um, uh, another announcement that we need to make here on Birds 365, we told you, like, share, subscribe, please. Do us a solid, uh, make us look good with our bosses. Uh, Hit that like button before you get out of here today. Uh, Speaking of the bosses, apparently we're going to do a little load management here on Birds 365. Uh, To surprise of both John and myself, uh, next week, Birds 365 will be on hiatus for a week. Uh, We are getting a week off, which we haven't had since we started this bad boy uh, shoot Two Aprils ago, John, we've been doing this for about yeah twenty two months. Number? Are we what, not? what what number are we at? I always uh, check today would be number. show number four seven two. We're sneaking up on five hundred, buddy. Yeah, a lot, shows, close to a lot of shows. A lot of we shows. Uh, so uh, the powers that be decided. You know, maybe less is more. We we've been running these guys ragged for sneaking up on two years. Come April first, why don't we throw them a bone and give them a week off? So yes. Birds 365 will be on hiatus next week. We're not going away. We're just taking some downtime. It's like the modern sporting world. Less is more. Yes, Ask Brandon like Graham. Love Less it. is more. He Love has management. maybe the best season of his career ever because he didn't have to play as much as he used to. So, yes, McMullen and McDonald are getting a week off next week. So that means you got to be here every single day this week because what are you going to do without us next week? You're going to be pulling your hair out. You'll end up looking like John and myself. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And that's not what you want to do. So uh, make sure you're here for the next couple of days because we will be off next week here on Birds 365. But then we'll be back leading into free agency, leading into the draft. We got tons of stuff we can do for the next couple of weeks. All right, I want to ask you about a free agent who is almost never brought up when we talk about the Eagle free agents and who they're going to have to try and really get re-signed and who they're probably going to let walk away because we think the price tag is going to be too much. And, oh, by the way, we don't get all these right. We get most of them right. But I know over the years I've gotten some, eh, no way they're bringing this guy back. Oh, he comes back. Oh, they're guaranteed to get this guy signed. Oh, he goes somewhere else. So we're going to have our predictions and projections. And the only one who knows for sure is Howie Roseman. Um, but a guy that we almost never reference is one of John McMullen's favorites. And that would be the backup left tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, who has kind of snuck up on free agency. And he's, I give him credit in that when he needed to be plugged in this year, when my ladder was out, he did a decent job. There's a drop-off. Uh, anybody from my ladder would be a drop-off. Uh, but there was a drop-off. But it wasn't near as significant as I thought it m- might be. Andre Dillard, is he going to get a starting job somewhere else in the National Football oh, I League? I think so. I think so. I think so. Um, boy, there's so many, so many bad offensive lines. Um, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you go back go back to the days of Halapula Bati Baitai did a tremendous job in, in 2017 when, when Jason Peters got hurt, but he had – you know, a lot of limitations uh, and he got a big contract from Detroit. Um, I don't even want to go because Isaac is a really good player. Isaac Sayamalo. Uh, now I think because of the injury a couple of years ago, the Liz Frank injury, which is really significant, um, you know, that might tamper him down a little bit. Plus guards don't make as much as tackles, but uh I still think he's getting a big deal. I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is going to be. Probably not what Andre would like as far as numbers, but um, he's going to be a starting left tackle in this league somewhere next year. I, I, I'm very comfortable saying that. Um, and, and, you know, then it's up to him, obviously. He could fall on his face and not perform well and get benched. But somebody's going to give him the opportunity to, to, to be the starting left tackle. And by that, I mean they're going to sign him to say, this is our left tackle. Um, he's, he's talented. 
and I know it didn't work out here. Um, and, you know, he had some up and ups and downs when he tried to play right tackle. It was a disaster. And I know a lot of people wrote him off from that standpoint. Um, Jordan, my lot is just, you know, that was, how could you predict that coming? I mean, that's one of those where talk about once in a lifetime, that's literally once in a lifetime. And he happened to lap him and happened to find a better left tackle. The Eagles think he can play. They think he's a good player. Um, they can't keep him because he can't, you know, you're not going to be able to keep a backup left tackle who should be a starter in this league. And for two reasons, one, Andre wants to go be a starter and two, somebody's going to pay him thinking, all right, we're going to get a really good deal because left tackles is one of the premium positions still in the NFL. Typically, expensive, right? Yeah, typically it's very expensive. So you're going to get a bargain and you're going to get a potentially really good left tackle. We'll see if that back end turns out to be true. But larger point from an Eagles perspective, even if they wanted to keep him, they couldn't keep him. So, you know, I always talk about the guarantees who's not going to be here. I'm mainly talking about the starters, and I would say Miles and and uh, James Bradbury because of the money uh, in Bradbury's case. Andre's even more a fait accompli. He's not coming back. I mean, he's he's just not. And I got nothing against Kidden if he can play when he goes somewhere else and he gets uh, continuous reps as a starter. He turns into a pretty damn good player. I give him all the props in the world. Um, he should be a starter as a first-round draft pick in the NFL. We'll see if he can reach that level. My question was always, and you're there every single day, I'm not. You, you get a chance to talk to the coaches more than I do. But information does come out. Shoot, Jason Kelsey goes on the record and says, Suo Peta is the Tesla stock of hmm. NFL offensive linemen. Jason Nick Kelsey never said that about Andre Dillard. Um, Jeff Stoutland gets his information out there, not always on the record, not always with quotes around it, but you you find out information as to what Jeff Stoutland thinks about an uh, an offensive player. He never said anything bad about Andre Dillard, but nor has he ever leaked out that. The only reason that this guy's not playing is because he's behind my lotta. Um, so that's the only reason why I'm I'm not as sure that he's going to become as good a player. You just look at his stats, his his rankings, uh, PFF when he does get a chance to play, they're good, they're solid, and nothing spectacular. Not jumping off the page. The Eagles made, which I think was a mistake, trying to move him to the right hand side. Uh, some guys just can't do that. Some guys just can't make that transition to go from one side to the other and even more so to go from inside to outside and they've tried to do it a couple of different times in a couple of different places with Dillard and it really hasn't worked out you got to be honest about that he's not really a guard and he's much more well suited for the left side than he is the right side his flexibility isn't great but he's going to go somewhere else and he's just going to be the left tackle we'll find out how good he is yeah, we will. I mean, as I said, that point, you know, at that point, it's up to him. I, I do, you know, hesitate. You know, you're right. I, I don't think I've ever heard Jason Kelsey talk about Andre Dillard. But and a lot of times when you ask, you know, Jason, it's usually interior guys because he works with the interior guys. Um, 
doesn't happen. Yeah, but they now. gave they get did they not give uh, Dylan some snaps interior this year? Well, they did. That's the point I was about to bring up. Okay, sorry um, to interrupt. Left guard, uh, he played left guard this season. It's the re reason the Tesla stock got cut and put on the practice squad because Andre proved he could handle left guard. So I think that was a positive. There's no no doubt that um, the team was upset um, when he sort of gave up, to be honest, at right tackle. He didn't like doing it. He didn't want to do it. Um, he didn't fight through some of the issues. They were they were upset about that, no doubt about it. Legitimate criticism, but they never wavered, and and Stoutland particularly, bring him never wavered about him being a good left tackle. I reverse back. We were doing the show. Remember, now it's kind of lost in history because my lot has turned into my lot up. But you know that year they came into training camp. Even Andre got every deference. Practice one, Andre uh, uh, Andre Dillard wasn't my lot at day two. They rotated every day, every single day, and it was Dillard, 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 always number one until he got hurt, and then my lot just kind of took off. They they thought Andre Dillard was going to be the starting left tackle. Um, they like him as a player, and then Jordan just you know took off like a rocket. Um, but they never, they've never wavered at left tackle. They had some issues about, you know, maybe there was some upset. There was that photo the inquirer got about him sort of tearing up a little bit after a fight. And that goes over well in Philadelphia, obviously uh, not tough enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there were all these other things, but Stoutland specifically never wavered. This guy's got a lot of talent, a lot of talent, and we'll see if he can live up to it. It's not going to be here. Yeah, he's probably going to be elsewhere, um, and we'll find out how good a player he is. But I just – I felt the need because you see the list of all the Eagles free agents, and we talk about the guys who are in there who are playing, and, and uh, you're going to have to replace immediately in the starting lineup. Dillard was a first-round draft pick who, uh, when he walks away – and you can say this is right, wrong, or indifferent, how you evaluate, that's going to be a miss on Howie Roseman's record as well. That you use a first-round draft pick on a guy who basically never became a starter for your team. Now, it balances out because my lot is my lotta, and he's pro ball, and he's all pro level, and you took him in the seventh round. So you can afford to miss, swing and a miss on a first-rounder as long as you have the backup seventh-rounder who reaches the heights that Yeah, uh, that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting story, Jody. You know, one of the one of the issues that maybe Howie learned from, I think Dillard was 22nd pick, don't could somewhere around there. Right. Uh somewhere in the early 20s. He was not supposed to be a 22. The Eagles didn't do a ton of homework on him because they didn't think there was any chance that he would be there. You know, this is a guy who was borderline top 10 pick when you saw some of the pre-draft hype and all that stuff. And all of a sudden he stopped, starts falling, starts falling. And the Eagles didn't do a lot of pre-draft prep on him. And they said, well, we got to take this kid. He's so talented. And they took him and it didn't work out. Maybe they learned a little bit something from that. Um, and who knows why 
Bell. Maybe some people figured that out. Maybe if some what, people, maybe some people said, right, John, and um, I'm not doubting you at all. But if what you're saying is right, then shame on the Philadelphia Eagles. It wasn't like Andre. Well, yeah, Kittler I said maybe they learned from my pick. Like, oh my God, we've got him number three on our board. He's there at 22. We could potentially take him at 22. Then shame on them. How did they just blow off? the first three players in there on their draft board. Cause Oh, we got no chance to get these guys. No, you have to do your homework on all of them. Even number yeah, one, but I mean, you know, there's, there's that, that's kind of a misnomer. I mean, there are, there are guys, you know, when you pick somewhere, you're not going to be involved with. So you don't do a lot of homework and you know, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, in this in this instance, I'm not saying they did no homework because they drafted him and Stoutland was, you know, very um complimentary of him when he got drafted, especially his pass blocking. Um, very, very complimentary. Uh so it's not like but they did not think they did not think they had any chance at him at twenty two. And it it's not like, you know, you could boil it down if you're picking Jalen Reagan, what did he, he, I think he went 21 somewhere. I think he was 21. You can boil it down to know, all right, well, we're not getting so-and-so. So we got to boil it down to this level. And that's what the Eagles did. They did not think they were getting that player. And maybe they learned something from that. Maybe that's a positive. Uh, hopefully they did because I remember that draft and it wasn't like Andre Dillard was going to be in the top five. It was oh, not top five, but he was borderline top 10, the, the conversation. Um, and it, it was a, it was a surprise. Go back, Jody. It was a surprise. He fell. Yeah, I, I do not remember him being in anybody's mock top 10, top 20. Yes. He, he fell a little bit. I will certainly acknowledge that you got to have a, a bigger uh, spread than that. If you're sitting at number 22 and Oh, by the way, look to jump up and get hired to number 10 this year. I don't remember all the picks that they didn't, didn't have that season off the top of my head, but if you really like them that much, you could have moved up and gotten them. And you, 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 good well, thing no, you didn't is you got them at 22. If you think that was a value there, but uh uh, I'm not buying that. Well, and uh, by the way, now I'm remembering Houston was at 23. Houston was counting on getting Andre Dillard as he continued to ball and talk about panic. The Eagles took him at 22 and then Houston picked Titus Howard at, which was a big reach because they needed a left tackle. And, you know, <laughs> they're not the only ones who aren't prepared at times. Everybody has them, but you know, I look at some of the players afterwards. You know, the one guy I see, not a lot of great misses. I mean, Josh Jacobs, obviously a very good player, but they're not taking a running back. Hollywood Brown, Montez Sweat. Now, that's a guy who's a really good player. Jonathan Abram, I remember the Eagles had interest in at the time. Luckily, they didn't take him. Jerry Tillery, who I admit... I thought was going to be a good player, and I was woefully wrong. Uh, L.J. Collar, not good. DeAndre Baker, we know what happened to Ooh. him. And and Keel Harry, I mean, that 
that bottom of that first round of that draft, not, not good. Special. Yeah, not nothing good. special coming out other than Montez Sweat. Nothing yeah. special coming out of the Well, Jacobs is round. really good, but you know the Eagles aren't taking a run. Yeah, they had, they had no chance of taking a running back. All right, uh, one other thing before we get Mike up, because I want to ask Mike about this, and shame on me I didn't ask uh, Ed this. Eagles replacing their defensive coordinator. Sean Desai is a guy who they've asked permission to bring in uh, formerly with the Bears under Vic Fangio was the DC uh, the last year before Nagy got fired and then a new coaching staff comes in a defensive head coach is going to come in and make changes so he ends up going to Seattle for one year that Seattle defense was pretty good he was an associate head coach uh, we know he's uh, immersed in the type of defense that the Eagles played under Jonathan Gannon um, what of your sources, if you've done any research, talk to anybody about it, uh, how well is this guy respected around the league? Will he be a good fit and a good hire if the Eagles decide to go that way? Yeah, I think he would be. I, in fact, you know, I, I mean, if it were between Sean Desai and Denard Wilson, okay. I, I'd probably lean towards uh, Sean Desai, because of his history, you mentioned defensive coordinator, Chicago associate head coach, he got the job in Seattle. So, you know, when Pete Carroll, um, you know, puts that stamp on you, that's pretty impressive as well. Uh, you know, he's even got a little temple. He was a coach at Temple um, early in his career. I think that was his first job. Um, so, you know, he knows the area a little bit, was there for four or five years, something like that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a big, big Fangio guy and that's what you want to play. So, you know, Denard Wilson wasn't, you know, Denard Wilson was one of those outliers of sort of, all right. You know, we talked about it a little bit with Jamal Singleton, same thing with secondary coach. The Eagles didn't have one guy in place and they kept looking and looking and looking. They got Denard Wilson. Who's been a very good coach, very good secondary. But I like the moves with the Jets. That's yeah. why I'm kind of rooting for. For for what they want to run, if they want to continue to run, and Nick said there's certain principles that I like, and he said in the past, I like this defense from an offensive perspective. This is difficult to deal with. Well, then I want the guy who's been deal, doing it. So from that standpoint, but again, when I when when you talk about coaching, I don't know. I'll freely admit I'll raise my, I, I have no idea, but his, his, his history and the people who like him, it's pretty good. Yeah. It does uh, sound a little impressive. Uh, that is just one of the many questions we're going to put to our next guest, Mike Silski, lead sports inquire, uh, sports columnist for the inquire going to jump on with us next. So stay right here with us on Bird Street 65.
Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits, go for the scene, go for the screens, go for the gallery, go for the win, go to ocean. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi, I'm an inspector at Drytech. At Drytech we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing, the second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. My name is uh, Fran Salerno, and I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. After the week after the Super Bowl, we're moving on. No, we're trying. <clears throat> and we do so with the help of our next guest, uh, the esteemed colleague and uh, columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, who was out there in Arizona with the birds on that fateful Sunday, eight, nine days ago. Mike Zielski joins us here on uh, Birds 365. Mike, thanks. Glad to see you made it back safe and sound. Knew you did. Heard you on the radio yesterday. Um, here's where I want to start with you. It was Frank Sinatra who said, regrets, I've had a few, but too few to mention. And you have to accept it because he's Frank. What are you going to do? Second guess, Frank? But I'm not sure if that was Chairman of the not. board, Jody. Yeah. I understand I'm going down a, a slippery slope here, but. Watch it, Jody. I got chunks of guys bigger than you in my school. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm more afraid of uh, old blue eyes than I am of Nick Sirianni. But if you went to the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles and you asked him about last Sunday, what regrets would he have? And we have to accept that they're more than too few to mention because they didn't win a damn game. So what would you say that Nick Sirianni would put on the top of his regret list? Oh, I think there's a few things, Jody. I think, number one, uh, the Eagles organization and Sirianni as a whole would have – uh, hired a private investigator to make sure uh, that the turf at State Farm Stadium was up to snuff because uh, the Eagles, you know, took the high road when it came to the playing conditions. But I really think it hurt them uh, a little bit more than it hurt the Chiefs just because their defense was so predicated on pass pressure. And, you know, it was like watching those guys play on banana peels all night because uh, they were slipping and sliding <clears throat> so much. That's number one. Um, 
You know, I wonder if Nick – Nick is, has said every time he's been asked about it that he would punt on that fourth and two late in the game in the fourth quarter. But, man, I wonder about that. And fourth I wonder and about three, it – Fourth Mike. Fourth and three. I, yeah, fourth and three. Yeah. I know. Okay. But I wonder about it from a psychological standpoint. Uh, you know, this was the thing th – this was kind of the unspoken or at least – underappreciated aspect I always thought of what the Eagles did back in 2017 with Doug Peterson and kind of being at the vanguard of going forward on fourth down as often as they did is that it gives a team that does that a psychological edge on their opponents because they become so accustomed to playing loose in those situations that it becomes easier over time for them to succeed in those situations that, and that if a coach or the team takes a step back and pulls back in those situations, then it's a bit of a letdown. And, uh, you know, given the way that sequence played out, that they decided not to go forward on fourth and three, that they have Sipos punt, that he hits a terrible punt, that Tony brings it back to the four, that it leads to another Chiefs score, and the, the gap is widened there. I, I just wonder if Nick's looking at that saying, man, you know, I know it's risky. I know if we don't get it. The Chiefs probably score anyway, but man, I would I would take that shot if I had to do over again. Really, uh, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because at, at Nick's season-ending press conference, Mike and Howie as well. You know, I got to be honest, he he gave that answer, and I was with him. And he mentioned Bob Lang, the Eagles PR guy, and he said, you know, if Bob didn't bring it up to me and prepare it, I wouldn't even thought about it. Fourth and three from his own thirty-two. You know, it wasn't – you're right about the fourth down. I brought that up before the game, and they did it in the first half. That mm -hmm. puts incredible stress on the opposing defense. It becomes a math equation, right? You got four right. plays to get 10 yards. That's difficult for the defense to stop, but that's in plus territory. If that were at the 49, the Chiefs 49, even – Doug Peterson in the Super Bowl, fourth and one, Zach Ertz, fourth and one. They could do the tush push. They did it in the NFC Championship game. All right. But fourth and three? Because I had a lot of fans saying, well, they were going to score anyway. Uh, you can't that's, coach that's, that way. That's 2020 hindsight after yeah. it's Shankopotamus. Anybody can say that. Yeah. I, I know, guys. But I, 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 to be very honest, and I'm not <laughs> – embellishing or anything i was thinking in the moment you got to go for it here and i think part of it is okay. the, the feeling of the context of the game that the defense was having such a difficult time stopping mahomes and reed and that offense you can't let them back on the field in any situation and i get it i understand why you guys are saying what you're saying and and 99 times out of 100 maybe i'd be with you but given who the eagles were given who their opponent was in that situation I think I, I really think I would have gone for it. And, you know, that that's what I can say. I mean, I, I wonder, I, I, I'm sure Nick is saying, yeah, I, I did the right thing rationally. But I got to <laughs> think there's a part in his gut that's saying, oh, man, what if what if I called a called a play to let Jalen create and he got it? And or we got Goddard for three and a half yards, you know, on a on a quick turnaround pass, something along those lines. Uh, I just I have to think that he's putting his head on the pillow at night and saying, boy, I, want, I wonder if we had gone for it, how things might have turned out. No, I'm with John on this one. I believe, and I'm not saying that you're not right, Mike, but 
Oh, I believe the coach said what he said, that <laughs> he didn't even think it was going to be a question. He was so uh, strong in his belief. I got a punt here that I don't think he's second and guessing himself after the fact. I really okay. don't, but, but maybe he should be, as you point out. But just judging by Sirianni and how he answered the question, I believe him. I don't think he really even gave it a second thought. Shoot, we got a punt here. Boom. Let's go on. All right, another Sirianni question for you. They've lost two coordinators now. Their offense coordinator, their defense coordinator, uh, off to Indy, off to Arizona. They're in the process of hiring their replacements. Certainly Nick Sirianni is going to be consulted on it. Got some interesting information that John has pointed out a couple of times. I was listening, and I heard that. I go, wow, I didn't know that, that Sirianni uh, was hired after both Gannon and Steichen, that they hired those two guys first, and then they hired the head coach. Uh, John has been telling me for two years, they're going to hire Gannon anyway. So uh, that, that that's a – and none of us knew that Steichen was hired first. So Howie Roseman and Jeff Laurie will have their hands all over these replacements on the coaching staff. Sirianni will certainly be part of the conversation, but he's not dictating it. Any chance that these hirings go awry, that there is some internal strife? Because they once fired a Super Bowl coach over the fact that they couldn't agree on his coaching staff and how it should be handled. Uh, Are we just waiting for the other shoe to drop here? I think there's absolutely the possibility for strife here, Jody, for the very reason that you cited. And consider the personality differences between Doug Peterson and Nick Sirianni. I mean, Doug Peterson, up until the moment he won that Super Bowl, was, you know, kind of demure, stayed in the background. I wrote this infamous column, you know. Yeah, and the ficus dra- plant. Yeah. The, the, the potted ficus, where Doug was standing <laughs> in the background, yeah. you know, and, and that was true. Oh, yeah, it was true. And it was true right up until the moment that that Tom Brady Hail Mary hit the ground. And then Doug started really to assert himself more because he had won the Super Bowl and he and Nick Foles had collaborated on the Philly special. And before you know it, he and the the powers that be, the real powers that be in the Eagles aren't seeing eye to eye and they've got to part ways. And I had somebody within the organization tell me, you know, it's going to be interesting if Nick ever gets to that point because Nick is a, has a far more assertive natural personality oh, yeah. than Doug Peterson does. I mean, these guys are all alphas, you know, all the, all every NFL head coach is an alpha male and is, and, and is egotistical and believes in himself to the nth degree, but Nick flashes it more than most guys do. Oh, yeah. and, it, and in some ways it makes him more normal than just about any other Eagles head coach I've ever covered. But in some ways it makes him the kind of guy who, if Jeffrey and Howie push back and Nick feels like, you know what, I don't, I don't like this, or I'm the guy who got the Eagles to the Super Bowl, I don't have to take this, then yeah, I think the potential for conflict is there. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because number one, that was a great column. I loved it. I, I still cite it today, the ficus, and, and it was completely correct. And I was taken aback. You know, I was used, as I'm sure you were, when you get to sort of draft season, it would be, you know, Joe Douglas, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson. And then it was Andy Weidel. Um, and and Doug would just sit off to the side. And we'd mm-hmm. all be asking these questions of Howie and Andy. And Doug would be there playing with his water bottle. That was a famous moment as well. Um, and then Nick showed up. And it was Andy and Howie. And Nick just took over the dais. He's like, boom, I'm yep. going. Yep. And he took it over. And I was shocked 
Uh, so there is a big difference in. Yeah, oh. it, it, it's just a personality thing, yeah, too, sure. John. It, it just that's the way Nick is. And, you know, the other factor that we have to take into consideration here, too, is that I've been a believer in watching Nick on the sideline. OK, there, there is this fine line with him where you want a coach to be authentic. Right. And I think that's why and how he connects with his players is they know that with Nick, what they see is what they get. But there is some maturing, I think, that he has to do in terms of his demonstrative demonstrativeness on the field, right? Remember the game in Indianapolis where he stands on the yeah, bench yeah. and gestures to the fans after the Eagles beat the team that fired his mentor, Frank Reich. And I think, I think it would serve him well to kind of figure out when to use that and when not to use it. Uh, I think there's some maturing that he has to do as a, as a relatively young coach. But once he gets to that point, then it's going to be interesting to see if he's still with the Eagles by then, you know, how he negotiates this situation with Howie and Jeffrey and the power and who has it and who can use it and all of those kinds of things. Because um, right now he's just an assertive guy. And as you said, he is, he is out there all the time and unafraid to be that way. And I wonder as he ages and matures more as a coach and as a, an operator in the NFL, as a lot of these guys have to be, most guys have to be, how does that change the way he he interacts with the people that he works for? Yeah. All right, time for a Juddy McDonald unfair question, and I ask <laughs> these from time to time. Uh, knowing full well that the answer will be predicated on who they choose to hire to replace the two coordinates that they've lost, but without knowing either of those two guys yet, who do you think is harder to replace, Steichen or Gannon, on the Eagles going forward? Oh, that's a that's a really good question, Jody. It's really oh, unfair. I, they're always good questions. It's so I just admit ahead of time that they're unfair. <laughs> that, that that you need more information to give a true answer to it. But that's yeah. the one part of it. I, I think the the simple answer is it's hard. It'll be harder to replace Gannon because Nick is an offensive coach, right? Number one. And because you already have Brian Johnson on staff, who clearly has a connection with Hertz um, and deserves some credit, for, you know, a good bit of credit for helping develop Jalen Hertz. And so therefore, in theory, it should be harder to replace Gannon because at least you have some kind of reserves, I guess you'd say, on staff already if you want to tap into them in Johnson and Nick. Having said that, if they make the right hire for the defensive coordinator and their new candidate and their new coordinator brings in a system that's a little bit different from Jonathan Gannon's and it's a better system or it works better for the personnel or however you want to define it, then there's no telling why they can't hire a defensive coordinator uh, who's an upgrade from Jonathan Gannon. And that's not necessarily a slight on Jonathan Gannon as a coach. I have some issues with how he went out the door the night of the Super Bowl, but you know, in the, in the ongoing debate over, is he a terrific defensive coordinator or is he a guy who got carved up by good quarterbacks and therefore stinks? I lean a little bit more toward he's a pretty good defensive coordinator. So um, it's an impossible question to answer at this point, Jody, because we don't know who the replacements are going to be. And we don't even really know yet what they're looking for. Uh, I think, um, yeah. you know, well, we have to see. What is the standard with Jonathan Gannon? Because you mentioned the star quarterbacks and, you know, a lot of that is common sense. I mean, Patrick Mahomes threw for 5,200 yards this year, so that tells me a lot of teams had trouble with Patrick Mahomes. 
Um, in general, you have more trouble with good players than average players. That to me is common sense. And I look at it from the larger picture, Mike, and I say, well, 70 sacks, number two defense in the NFL, whomever the new defensive coordinator is, I don't like his odds to do better than that. I didn't like Jonathan Gannon's odds if he came back to to get better than they were defensively this year. I certainly don't think a new guy is. How 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 were people going to adjust to those two things? Say, whom uh, you know, if it's Sean Desai, if it's Denard Wilson, he's better than Jonathan Gannon. But the defense is ranked tenth. They have forty five sacks. How do how do those two things equate? Well, here's what I think, John. I think the reason that people had such strong opinions about Gannon one way or another came down to a few different factors. But one of them was the stark difference between how poorly the defense did fare against those elite quarterbacks and how well it did against guys who weren't elite either ever or anymore. Okay. It was so different that if there had been one game that the Gannon defenders, and again, for the most part, I consider myself one of them could have pointed to and said, you know, you shut down Aaron Rodgers that one time, or you, you, you put up a comparable defensive performance in the Super Bowl to what the Bengals did in the AFC championship game. That would have quelled some of that criticism. But the numbers in those games in 2021, when Justin Herbert and Dak Prescott and those, those quarterbacks played against the Eagles were so incredible. And then the, the production that Gannon's defense got against the quarterbacks and teams who weren't that good was so terrific and so good in the aggregate that it became this almost like red and blue, like election night kind of thing um, between the two camps. And, you know, there's other factors that go into it. Are you looking at a defense in the aggregate? Are you looking at a defense in particular moments? You know, those two, those two touchdown passes by Mahomes late in the Super Bowl, you know, th- they count as much as any other, you know, and they would have counted as much even if, um, you know, an Eagles cornerback had been draped all over a Chiefs receiver yeah. and the Chiefs receiver had made yeah. a great catch. But the fact that those two receivers were so open and again, and as he's admitted since then, got outsmarted by Andy Reid in those situations and Patrick Mahomes, it just added to the, uh, the perception that he doesn't know what he's doing. So um, how will people square it? I think people will look at the, the results and they'll say, okay, well, you know, Denard Wilson's defense had a better performance against the Cowboys and Dak Prescott than Jonathan Gannon's did. So that's one standard that we're going to measure him by. Um, and, and the discussion will change. It just will. I mean, people, people move the goalposts in sports arguments yes, all the time. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. I'm going to move the goalposts a little bit here. I'm going to try to. Uh, and I think I heard you talking about this on Saturday with my other Mac partner. But if I remember what you said incorrectly, please correct me. The tush push. If they were to ban it, maybe, just maybe, you can get Jalen Hurts renegotiated for only $46 million a year instead of 50 You'd say, well, this was a big piece of why we we're going to pay you, Jalen. So we got to pay you a little less. We didn't do this. The NFL did this. We're going to save a couple of dollars. The long-term implications could be advantageous for the Eagles, while the short-term implications, you yeah, don't really work too well in their favor. 
what are your thoughts on the potential removal of the tush push in the National Football League going forward? I don't understand. Look, more first downs is more excitement is what the NFL seems to want. And the, the justification that this is not aesthetically pleasing is just it strikes me as ridiculous. There's a, there are a lot of plays in the NFL that aren't aesthetically bubble pleasing. screen. Ban it, Mike. Yeah, I don't uh, want just, to see another bubble screen as long as I live. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand this, Jody. There's got to be, you know, they're getting complaints from influential owners and coaches and general managers or something, um, because I don't understand the need to to push to push to ban the push. I kind of understand it. I'm I'm in the opposite category. Here's how I look at it. So I'm going to throw this out to you, and Jody knows. I I go all the way back to Billy Martin in the George Brett game. I always thought it was unfair that uh, baseball, you know, said Billy Martin, we're going to penalize you because you're smarter than everybody else. He knew this loophole that nobody else knew, and he pulled it out of his back pocket exactly when he needed it i thought it was brilliant i thought he deserved credit and then after the fact then say this is not what we meant this is not the spirit of the rule we're changing it moving forward i have no problem that the nfl does i think the eagles did a phenomenal job with it i think you know they deserve credit for taking advantage of of the rules at the time and the nfl should go back and look at it and say, you know what? This is not what we envisioned. We don't want this rugby scrum. Um, you know, if three, four, three uh, quarters of the league agrees, we're going to overturn it. You go all the way back to Reggie Bush against Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame should have won that game, but they didn't. Um, overturn the rule, but give the Eagles credit. That's where I am. I mean, that's fair enough. I just... Uh... As a as a general matter in the NFL in particular, John, um, I am against over legislation. Oh, I'm with you there. Yeah. And I feel like you can drive yourself crazy. And I think the NFL is on its way to doing that with trying to correct or self-correct every imperfection in a sport. We saw this. Look, we saw this in the Super Bowl. Right. With and we've seen it now with the 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 technical nature of instant replay you you can't convince me that the reason that the officials overturn the miles sanders fumble okay and i thought it was a fumble he fumbled he caught the screen pass made a football move got popped and fumbled the ball you can't tell me they didn't overturn that and rule it an incomplete pass because they said to themselves Devontae smith had control of the ball longer than miles sanders did <laughs> and we rule that Devonte Smith's play was not a catch. So therefore we cannot rule that this is a fumble because people will be questioning the credibility of our officials. Not that they weren't already for years to come. And I think this is all born out of trying to correct for every single thing. You see it in, in officiating calls with trying to protect quarterbacks, th you know, throwing flags time after time. It's just it's it's creating a situation where the game becomes at times unwatchable and overregulated. And I think the tush push is just another example of that. You know, stop banning stuff. Let's stop banning stuff. Well, uh, along that line of thinking, how did Carl Shefford, the referee, not decide I haven't thrown a flag for 58 minutes for pass interference, for defensive holding. But now with less than two minutes to go. 
you did see the shirt came out about this much. It did. And shoot, Bradbury admitted to it after the fact. But did he actually change the course of the wide receiver's movements? I just thought it was a soft call. And it was one that didn't need to be made. Why didn't Jeffers think along those lines of, hey, we we, we did so, we've been doing something all day. We got to kind of stay the course here. We had Devontae Adams play earlier in the game. Uh, Devontae Smith, excuse me. Um, why didn't uh, the NFL stay the course and uh, call the game the same way throughout the 60 minutes we came to pass defense? Well, I, I don't want to misspeak on this, Jody, but I think I read somewhere, and John or Jody, you guys can correct me on this. I read somewhere that Mahomes might have thrown that pass in the manner that he did to Juju Smith-Schuster because he had seen Bradbury grab Schuster's jersey, and he knew he'd get the call, or at least took the chance that he'd get the call. Um, If that's the case, that's pretty smart by Patrick Mahomes. Is it a soft call? I guess it is. Um, And if if I, I get the whole athlete's perspective on this, that if the officials haven't been calling that infraction all game, you adjust the way you're playing, and you don't expect it to be called later in the game. But technically, it is a hold. Um, but again, that gets down to what we're talking about here. Like, you can you can call anything a penalty if you are looking for, you know, and, and officials have these cues where, you know, the pass interference. Comes out. The cue if, if the, the jersey comes out. If the cornerback doesn't turn his head around to see the ball, then yeah. it must be pass interference, even if it's not really pass interference. Um, you know, I don't know. We could go round and round about this. Technically, it's a hold. The jersey yeah. came out. Technically, it's a hold. Bradbury said it was a hold. You could you could go either way on this thing. Um, you know, I think what most people are upset about is the fact that, and 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 by most people here, I include those people who had no rooting interest in the game and just wanted to see an exciting conclusion of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think most people are upset about the fact that with a minute 40 to go and the Eagles likely down by three, they would have had the ball with a chance to tie or win the game. And if you're an Eagles fan, you absolutely want that. You want your team to have a chance. And yeah. this call yeah. took, it, took that chance away. Yeah. And to your point about Mahomes, it doesn't, you know, I don't even listen to the, oh, it would have not catchable football. You have no idea what's going to happen if there's not a hold, if that adjusts and Patrick makes the, the proper throw. So I didn't even listen to that part of it. But, and I go back to your talk about the field, Mike. I give the Eagles credit for one, as you mentioned, James Bradbury um, saying, hey, it was a hold. I, I wish I got away with it, but it was a hold. Howie Roseman, both teams played on that field. Um, I give the Eagles credit for that part of it. Do you think that's just lip service, though, or do you think they are really upset? Uh, you know, obviously, Howie's going to get fined. Uh, James is going to get fined if they criticize the officials. I'm one of those people and Jody knows this, I don't complain about officiating. What do, what do coaches always say, Mike? You've heard it a million times. Control what you can control. Yeah. I can't control Carl Sheppers. That that was the call. That was the call. I got to move forward. I give the Eagles credit. Was it lip service, though, or are they really upset? I think they're upset. I got Jeffrey Lurie by myself in that locker room after the game, and, <laughs> you know, I said, what did you think? And he said, I would have liked our team to have had a legitimate shot to win at the end or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing what he said. I had the quote in my column. So, yeah, I think they're upset. <laughs> I think they felt like Shepard should have kept the flag in his pocket. Um, all of that. But, 
you know, I think they feel like the field was not in great shape. And what's interesting is next year at the Vegas Super yeah, Bowl, same the, field. Yeah. the conditions are going to be exactly the same unless the NFL does something between now and then. So, um, yeah, I think no, they're angry and upset. You know, Peter King had his column this morning, Football Morning in America, had some good stuff with Jonathan Gannon. He also had a little piece uh, about, which I did not see, Travis Kelsey uh, communicating the Kadarius Tony uh, on the first of the two touchdowns that were very similar, saying when he went into jet motion, control yourself because of the field, basically was saying stay under control. They understood it was an ice rink as well. There's a perfect example of them understanding the situation Travis Kelsey communicating with his teammate, understand what you're doing. You got to handle those things, Mike. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. And the Chiefs handled them better than the Eagles did. And I think, too, you know, you go back and review that game. I, I, I've said this before, guys. I come back to one play. I think it was in the third quarter. The Eagles are coming after Mahomes, and he scrambles to his left and then kind of darts back to his right. And throws across his body, and the pass is like three inches off the ground. And Travis Kelsey, over the middle, catches it for about an eight-yard gain. And in the grand scheme of things, you look at the box score, you say, that's a nothing play. But in that game, in that moment, that's the kind of play that is so demoralizing to an opposing team because you think you've got the quarterback corralled, and you don't. And he makes a pass that doesn't look like it has a chance of being completed, and it is because Mahomes is that great. And Kelsey is that great. And you say at some level, you have to tip your cap to the Chiefs and say those two guys and Andy Reid, that trifecta there, yeah. are so good at what they do that, you know, we talked all week about if you stack the two rosters up against each other, the Eagles have the better of the overall talent and depth. But the Chiefs, Chiefs are a top-heavy team, and that top is really, really heavy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last thing, Mike. And I'm going to ask you to do your best reading between the lines here. And it's pretty important. Again, might be an unfair question. Um, the Eagles starting center is going to have to make a decision here pretty soon. To play or not to play? That is the question. Will Jason Kelsey be back with the Philadelphia Eagles? He said he needed to take some time. He didn't want to make a decision in the moment after a uh, tremendously difficult loss in the Super Bowl, even though it was a win for his brother. What do you think his timing looks like? Uh, we all assume he's going to do it before free agency starts, which means he's got a whole month. Next week, the week after, is he going to go all the way right up against free agency? He's going to tell the Eagles, listen, I still haven't made up my mind. I'm not going to a dark place like Aaron Rodgers, but I still need some time to think on this. <laughs> when is Kelsey going to let us know whether he's coming back for another season? Well, he's going to someplace, Jody, because he's becoming a father again. So, I mean, that's a factor we have to take into consideration Is his wife here. still not giving birth? I don't know. I haven't heard anything, John. Have you I haven't heard. I've yeah. Heard. I'm, I'm um, sure we she, talked all yeah. week about she yeah. could give birth uh, <laughs> out in the, brought the doctor yeah. out to I'm Arizona. Sure she has, We're but, 10 days yeah. later now. What the heck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. We, we've, we've become so accustomed to Jason sharing everything with exactly. us that we're surprised when he doesn't share something with us as big as having yeah. another baby. Um, I think that's a factor here that, that probably, again, I have no firsthand knowledge of this, you know, talking to Jason or anything like that. Um, but I would think just as a father of two that, 
when a baby comes along and you're adjusting to life as it is now, it's probably going to lead to him taking some more time and, and thinking it through. Again, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm speaking basically for myself that if I were in Jason's shoes and my wife and I were having our third child, which we don't, we only have two, um, we would take as much, I would take as much time as I could take before I made a big life decision about my career. Uh, you know, and I wonder, you know, I think John was there after the game too, you know, after Jason finished at, at the kiosks and the podiums, he came back into the locker room and talked to a few of us after about another 10 or 15 minutes. And I came away from that thinking he really has a hard decision to make because he did say, you know, I know I'm not quite as good as I used to be. And I said to him, you know, I think a lot of people who watched the no, NFL and, you know, really pay close attention would be surprised to hear you say that. And he said, yeah, but I know where I'm not as good. Um, so he, I don't know. I don't know. And I think anybody who knows is just speaking out of there. You know what? But I do. I, I, I do know that Jason will let the Eagles know so they mm -hmm. can plan uh, yeah. because it, uh, you know, that's just the way he is. So he's not going to leave the Eagles hanging. Right. Um, but nobody knows the decision. You're right about that. At MikeSealskiInquire.com. By the way, you found some Eagles fans that were, because I don't get these people, Mike, uh, your recent column. Uh, yeah, it stinks, one, that we lost to the Chiefs, but they're really good. At least I got to see my team win one. Boy, you found some logical, sound fans. I, I'm, I'm impressed. You, you know what, John? It was just kind of something I picked up on um, over the last couple of weeks and really throughout the whole season. Um, I just didn't feel the desperation amongst the fan base going into that Super Bowl that I felt going into Minneapolis and the residue of that victory over the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, I think is still here. Um, the, the two examples I'll use, you know, number one, I think everybody remembers the way um, Ray Dittinger reacted on NBC sports, Philadelphia, and the scene of his son, David coming up and giving him a hug on the set and all of that. And Ray loves the Eagles. He does. And I think that moment spoke to a lot of people and the fact that it had been since 1960 that the Eagles had won a championship. And there was a feeling amongst a lot of people that, Hey, I haven't seen them win. My dad hasn't seen them win. My grandfather hasn't seen them win. And now they have, and that's amazing. Um, and I speak for myself in this regard. Like I got to share an Eagles Super Bowl victory with my father, who's been a fan his entire life and was 12 years old in 1960. And who was thinking I might never see them win a Super Bowl. And I've had friends and family members who have passed on who didn't get to see them win a Super Bowl. And when that happened back in 2018, it meant a lot to, to him. And so the feeling now that ugh, we could have won another one, but we didn't, but man, the ride was great. And yeah, remember 2018, that was pretty awesome. I think we're still there for a lot of people. You you do run in different circles than me because all, <laughs> all I hear about is we yeah. were robbed. They put Mahomes over. He's the franchise. He's the face of the NFL. Yeah, I guess you were. We're talking to different people, but they yeah, I get more. I get, I get more angry because... people, Mike. I get. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we're talking to two different yeah. segments of the fan yeah. base here. Yeah, we appreciate you're talking to us. Thanks for hopping on with us, Mike. You know, we're going to talk to you plenty during the off season. Appreciate eight. You're getting up early with us today. Thanks, guys.
Thanks, Mike, Mike. Gilski from the Philadelphia Inquirer and uh, Weekends on WIP with Glenn Macnow. All right, uh, he's another Mac, that Macnow guy. You got Mac, McMullen, Mac, McDonald coming back to put a bow on the show here on Bird Street 65. Post game show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. Why do millions of people every year from around the world visit Philly's Rocky statue? You want to tell me the sky is burgundy with green stripes and yellow polka dots? I'll meet you on that. But you're never going to convince me Rocky is anything other than the pure greatness that it is. Never going to happen. Join me, Paul Farber, for WHYY's The Statue. We're going on a journey to explore the biography of the Rocky statue. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Hi, I'm Jim Muehlbronner, Managing Partner at DelVal Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. Go Birds! A little late here on Birds 365. Before you go, remember, hit that like button. Come on, you all like McMullen. You know that. No, you may not, not want to tell anybody about it. We won't tell anybody either. But make sure you hit that like button before you get out of here today. All right, before we get out, um, tying a couple things together. I mentioned old blue eyes. Uh, regrets, we have a few. You know, it's one of my silly regrets from the Eagles losing the game the other day. Tying it into the commercial we got for the Rocky statue. 
they did get some Kansas City garb on the Rocky statue prior to the game. Now, is and, that real? Because Jason Kelsey said he thinks Eagles fans are are, are doing that now. He oh, thinks, he thought it was photoshopped in? Well, no. He, he thinks there's some enterprising Eagles fans that might be uh, putting it on there to try to energize the fan base. Oh, the so it wasn't a theorist. true Kansas City fan. Uh, well, no, nobody... Nobody could possibly no. know that unless someone admitted it. No. no, he just that that, no. that fan uh, DM'd Jason. He, goes, no, oh, no, no, right. he, he was just, wasn't really a Kansas City fan. It was me. He just mentioned it on his podcast with Travis. They were joking around and said he thinks you know because back I think Minnesota started it um, and they legitimately did it. They yeah. put the. So did the Giants before the first yeah. playoff game this year. But nobody had any video of Kansas City fans, I guess. So he, he you know, he, he's he's jumped. He's making that conclusion. So, so that it was, uh, like I said, photoshopped or uh, no, I think that, they didn't want to put a video up because why? They were wearing their, their Eagles garb while they were putting I a think, Kansas City I think jersey his, on them. His, his thought process was that Eagles fans are running with it. And they're just putting the opposition jersey there to fire people up. Okay, that that I do not know, but that did bother me that the Eagles finally lost because it had been undefeated up until that point, and Kansas City finally did win the game. All right, uh, what are you working on? You told us earlier you're working on some coaches stuff that the last <laughs> bastion of uh, under the radar info. Yeah, because every you know you know people make these. Think about it with Big Banjo. I know we got to leave, but I've been talking about it all year. I've told people he's not a consultant. He's not a consultant. But he is a consultant because it was reported. He's a Everybody thought Vic Fangio was a consultant. Well, guess what? You don't have to hire him to be a consultant if he was a consultant. So they confirmed it in a roundabout way. Now, they already confirmed it to me behind the scenes, but I wasn't allowed to talk about it. They confirmed he wasn't a consultant. But so many people, Jody, thought he was. There's so much misinformation when it comes to coaching searches. It is un. Believable. Even I didn't know Shane Steichen was on board before Nick Sirianni. We know that now. We didn't know it. And they've got a lot of coaching decisions to make this week, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, John McMone and Jody McDonald will right back here tomorrow to talk more about the Eagles offseason. So be with us in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.